Thanks for joining us today on the Jesus Famous Podcast with Pastor Nate Holdridge, where we discuss ways in which we can see Jesus famous in our lives. Today, we'll be discussing the book of Nehemiah and taking a look at how God renews his people. Welcome to the studio, Nate. It's good to see you after a full Sunday. Thanks, Ryan. Yesterday, you taught three sermons and then taught our growth night. And now we're doing the podcast. And the growth night was like two sermons. It was like two sermons. Yeah. It was like an hour, over an hour long. Mm-hmm. So you've been doing a lot of talking. I know you're big on naps. Did you get your nap in today? No, no nap today because I slept in this morning. So I gave myself hey. an extra hour and a half this morning. Oh, so, good for you. Uh, I, I just decided I don't need my, my nap. But yeah, you're right. I'm a napper. Um, <laughs> I take a 10-minute nap Efficient. in the middle of my morning study session pretty much every day. And then on the weekends, um, I'm prone to still nap on those <laughs> days. And, uh, and then, yeah, Sunday afternoon, I definitely am in a coma by uh, yeah. oh, for early sure. afternoon. Yeah. I'm sure you are as well. But yeah, um, yeah so I... I love naps. I've, I've got the gift of sleep. It's definitely something hey, I'm God. able to do. Yeah. Um, I don't know where that comes in handy, but that's a, is a skill that I have. Um, <laughs> you know, even as I'm getting older and it's taking me a little longer to fall asleep mm-hmm. than it used to, yep. a little longer means three minutes, maybe four. <laughs> Christina just pulls the plug, huh? And you're just out. And I'm, I'm gone. Yeah, I'm gone. The lights go out. And I'm gone. And then, yeah, I can do the same thing with a 10-minute nap. What I do each uh, in the middle of each study session during my day is I will drink a cup of coffee. I'm so glad we're talking about this. Set a 10-minute timer and go to sleep. And I do fall asleep pretty much every day. And when that timer goes off 10 minutes later, by that point, my cup of coffee has also kicked in totally. and I just wake up like ready for a second burst. Oh yeah. Day two studying, mm-hmm. you know, so that's my, uh, that's my routine. That's the best. Yeah. Do you call it the Nappuccino? Well, yeah. Brenton Collier, our former worship pastor introduced me to that term. Yeah. It's a great term. And it's just perfect. The <laughs> Nappuccino. But no milk in your coffee, right? You're going straight black. Yeah, straight black. It's just my, fuel. My routine right now, you know, I'm not. I I I would prefer to make an AeroPress every time I yeah. drink a cup of coffee, but it just it it requires a little bit of time. I know it takes. So time. what I do is in the morning when I first wake up and I'm just kind of groggy getting going is I make a huge French press, like an eight cup French oh, press, yeah. and then I just put that baby in a thermos. <laughs> And I'm just kind of nursing <laughs> off that all day. <laughs> all day long. I mean, can we really say they're eight cups? If you ever poured eight ounces of coffee say, and thought to yourself, What's a real cup? That's sufficient. No. I mean, yeah. I've got a bigger mug than that. Yeah. <laughs> Traditional mugs are not like real cup size. Not at think. all. No, yeah. not at all. Oh, man. Well, I'm glad you're feeling good today. You got some sleep. And I'm really thankful that we finished Nehemiah yesterday what a great book to be going through with the church yeah. how god renews his people uh a lot to talk about from this message that you preached yesterday but, uh, but just by way of reminder for everybody this is the last chapter nehemiah 13 chapter 12 beautiful moment of praise covenant devotion to god chapter 13 a little different it feels <laughs> like it's a little bit of a down note 
Um, but you had some great thoughts about how this is a good way to kind of end the book. And um, I'd love to kind of hear that from you a little bit as we're answering these questions. Sure. But I'd love to kind of just poke at some of the different points you made and ask some questions about the Israelites, Nehemiah, what happened, and what we can kind of expect past this book a little bit. So I wanted to ask about this first point that you had about God's continuous renewal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting looking at this chapter because the Israelites, you know, they made this covenant with God. God made a covenant with them. There's this mutual devotion to each other. The Israelites fail. God is still faithful to them. But it's hard to see in this chapter a little bit, like how God really is faithful mm-hmm. with them. Because when I read it, it's like, it just looks like a bomb went off and it's just, <laughs> they just didn't do good. The only thing that they really had going for them is that they're still alive. Um, I wanted to ask you if you had some insight to what were some of the um, different things that the Israelites would have seen that would have led to them to believe that God was still faithful right. through, through yeah. their mishap? No, that's a great question. I, I think for me, some of that perspective on this chapter, you know, thinking about it like the perfect ending rather hmm. than an insufficient or sad ending. It really is the perfect ending because we live in Nehemiah 13 oh, totally. still. We're still battling. Yeah. We make our commitments, our vows, our uh-huh. covenants, but the day is yet future where we're going to make a vow and covenant to be enthusiastic for God that never fails. Yeah. But we're bound to come up short in those commitments to the Lord today. We should be generally progressing mm-hmm. towards Christ likeness and right. you know a outward expression of his righteousness. Mm-hmm. And there is such a thing as the victorious Christian life. Yes, but amen. even in the midst of all that victory, we still have a flesh mm-hmm. and there will be moments, uh, plenty of them where we need God to be faithful to renew us. Even if we don't wander off into sin, we can just find ourselves in a rut in our Christianity where we're not challenged anymore. We don't see the big areas of growth that need to happen. A lot of us become satisfied with making sure that we're not committing um, the sins of commission, you know, like, okay, I'm not doing the things that the Bible says I'm not supposed to do. But a lot of times we leave neglected vast areas mm-hmm. of sins of omission. So in other words, we're omitting certain things that God tells us to do. So mm-hmm. when we think about it that way, which one of us would ever say, you know, I'm as for and engaged in the process of being for justice as mm-hmm. I could possibly be? Yeah. No, we're distracted. We're consume with other things. Hmm. We're not there like we maybe even in our hearts would like to be, you know, which of us could say like, I am about making disciples as much as I think the Lord would like me Uh to be, you know, so we, we omit certain things. Hmm. And so we're always needing God's renewing work. So that's for me, as I thought about this chapter, I just thought, you know, this is perfect because this is where we are. We're on this side of eternity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on the other side of the cross from right. them, but we share the same position of being on this side of eternity with the 
generation that Nehemiah was in. But I think for me, some of it also just came from um, pastoral experiences. Hmm. Like I've sat in the room with people who have let their lives run off the rails in significant ways and then have been caught out in the error of their life Hmm. and have watched them experience the feeling of being either busted or reeling as they're having to tell the truth to a loved one or they're coming to terms with what they've done to uh, their uh, financial health or Mm -hmm. their sexual health or their relational health. They're coming to terms with all of that. And it can feel in those moments a little bit like I'm getting destroyed right now. Yeah. But I've sat in enough of those environments to know God is performing a rescue operation right now. This is like the purest form of his grace that could exist in this person's life. The worst thing Hmm. that God could do for this person is to just leave them alone in their sin. The worst thing God could have done for the Hmm. Israelite people in Nehemiah's day is just keep Nehemiah in Persia, keep him from going back to Jerusalem to discover that they'd broken every facet of the covenant that they made when Nehemiah was still there. So, this, this is God's grace. This is his goodness totally. to say, I can't leave you like that. I can't mm. leave you like that. You're killing yourselves. So I'm going to step in and um, minister to you. So wow. I, I don't know that anybody, as Nehemiah was pulling out beard hairs and smacking <laughs> people around, I don't know Straight that anybody up. was saying, oh, God is so good to me. He <laughs> loves me so much. But yeah. I think even little children who experience the discipline, the loving discipline yeah, of right. their heavenly father uh, or of their, their earthly dads. I think they get that feeling like I don't like this, totally. but I'm so glad I'm not neglected. Yeah. I am this man's child and mm-hmm. I have needed this. It feels good to get mm-hmm. brought back into what, I know I should be about yeah. and what I should be doing. Wow. And so that's what Nehemiah was. He was just, you know, uh, an extension of God's heart for the the people of Israel. So I, I mm. hope they had those feelings like, wow, God is continuously renewing us. I hope yeah. they had that feeling. They might not have, but I'm sure later looked back and said, well, praise God yeah. that this happened in our lives. Totally. I love the way how you said it last or yesterday morning too, you're saying God wasn't being nice, but he was renewing. Yeah. He was disciplining, but that's what has to happen for us to be able to enter into that new life apart from sin. Um, that just kind of nicety of just saying, you're going to get better. Yeah. It's going to be okay. The future's bright. Just saying that without the discipline is not going to really help the Israelites that point. Yeah. And I, I didn't mention this yesterday in the teaching, but the, the strong possibility is that in the interim between Nehemiah being there the first time and then mm-hmm. going to back to Persia. So the time before he came back in those years, yeah, um, it's probable that that's when the prophet Malachi gave his prophecies. Oh, wow. And if you read the book of Malachi or his prophecies, He's directly confronting all the things that Nehemiah found also. But he's in that instance, 
he's not interjecting as much. He's just calling it out, mm -hmm. rebuking it. It's like they have an opportunity to hear the word and respond to it on their own. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's almost as if they rejected Malachi's word. And so now Nehemiah needs to come onto the scene and take things up a notch. Yeah. This is next level. It's Step not in. just a prophetic word. Hey, you're uh -huh. doing the wrong thing. It's I'm going to get involved to restructure and reshape the community here to yeah. be what it's supposed to be, Damn. which Malachi wasn't doing. He was just calling it out yeah. and giving them the opportunity and then making promises of what God would do if they didn't deal with it. It's wild, man. Speaking of all of that, um, you talked about the interruptive renewal and how God steps in. I love that idea. I mean, I hadn't thought about that way, but Malachi and Nehemiah both spoke, but, but Nehemiah really did get physical and got into the situation yeah. and worked with people. And I was just thinking about what you were talking about yesterday and thinking about how that's so important in our Christian lives, not just be spoken to, but to be lived with and to come under spiritual authority not just with God, but with your pastors, your leaders, uh, letting people into your life and letting them speak into your life, but how we also have an opportunity to speak into our people's lives, our, our friends, our families, our close ones. You know, Nehemiah, you look at him, and he went buck wild on these guys, and um, it seems like he had reason to do it. Um, I'm glad this is a descriptive thing and not a prescriptive thing, but I was curious from you if you had some thoughts about how do we know when to step in and interject into someone's life? Because, you know, Nehemiah, he saw that these people had made a covenant with God, they had rebelled against it, and he had to get in there and help them. Sure. For us yeah. today, like when we see our friends sinning or um, going against God's will, when do you think it's like time to step in, if that yeah, makes sense. Right. I know every situation is different, right. but. Well, if you just look at Nehemiah's scenario, um, when you're 65 years old or so, mm -hmm. and you've got, you know, four or five decades of serving God under your belt. <laughs> I mean, the reality is with <laughs> Nehemiah, um, his, what I think the key there with him behaving that way for those people is that he had earned that position yes, over time. Yes, totally, yeah. You know, if you look at the difference between the first time he came to Jerusalem and the second time he came to Jerusalem, they were doing a lot of the same things in right. both scenarios, but he didn't come at the beginning the way that he came at the end. At the beginning, it was lighter. He's calling out the reality of their situation. He eases them into the reading of the Bible. Right, He's discipling right. them into maturity. Uh, when, and, and he was highly success, successful, and mm -hmm. he'd served them like crazy. I mean, right. Nehemiah chapter mm -hmm. 5 is often overlooked, but that's really what it's mm -hmm. all about. He gives his own finances and resources to the project. He doesn't right. lord over the people. So he's there as a servant leader. So he has built the relational equity that's mm. required to do the kind of thing he did there at the end. Like if he'd come into Jerusalem on day one at the very yeah. beginning of, of uh, the book of Nehemiah and done what he did, Shoot. there'd be no book of Nehemiah. He would have just been received as a psycho, like totally. this freak totally. from Persia yeah. thinking that he can act like this. But because of the long history, you know, the people revered him. They knew mm. Uh, that what he was about, he was very clear about that. 
I think that he'd uh, gained, and you know, obviously there's some cultural differences that are there and yeah. stuff like that. You know, even with that kind of relational capital, we still in our society wouldn't stand for that kind of thing, yeah, but they were just in a different time totally. in a different society. And Nehemiah had built that up. So, um, probably his response is as extreme as you mm. can get. And the capital relationally that he'd built up or the equity he'd built up was also as extreme as you could get. So you can maybe think of it like Mm -hmm. that, like how much have I earned the right to speak into this person's life? What's the track record of how much have I served them? How much have I been there for them in Mm -hmm. the past? Um, How much have they followed or wanted my leadership in their lives? I mean, these people also had a long track record of listening to what Nehemiah said, um, adhering to his words, discovering the benefits of wholesale, um, you know, uh, devotion to his Mm -hmm. convictions and vision and leadership. And so you could think about it that way too. Like if I, if, if I have that kind of, um, sway over and in a person's life, then I can be stronger than if it's just, you know, we're just buddies. Mm -hmm. I've never had that role in their life before. I need to kind of be softer in the way that I approach this. Hmm. But you know, that, that might just be like a way to assess. I think there's also just of course, the element of prayer and being led by the Holy spirit, you know, and, Hmm. uh, realizing that, Hey, there's those times where God is leading me, I think, and I want to try to help this person. But a lot of times for that, it just comes down to the tone with which you pose a question or, uh, that might challenge somebody's kind of ideas or thoughts or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I think a lot of times it just comes down to relationship and servant leadership over time. And if you've got that built up, then you probably have more of a role to be able to speak into a person's life like (laughs) that. Totally. Yeah. I think it's so, so true. I can think about times in my life where I'm just thinking about one time in particular when I was in middle school and I had a youth leader who loved me and like would listen to me cry and do the whole thing, you know, in middle school. I remember being a knucklehead one time. I slid down the, actually the stairs here at the church, I slid down this thing and I broke a railing and he's like, dude, I'm going to punch you in the arm right now because you did that. But you know, I love you, but you have to have like some kind of discipline for this. <laughs> and he gave me like a Charlie horse on my arm. And uh, I just remember like, that wasn't fun, but I know I shouldn't have done that thing. And, uh, he had built up that kind of relational equity with me to be able to do something like that. I know it's a silly example, but, um, just the importance of that kind of, Building the relationship before you really speak into right, someone's yeah, life. Yeah, that one doesn't really make it into the uh, youth ministry leadership manual. Yeah, don't but... do that one. It's, that was a different time, too. <laughs> different era. <laughs> different era. Um, 20, 30 years earlier, he'd have spanked you. That's true. <laughs> we wouldn't have microphones back then either, probably, to talk about it. Um, okay, this is the last thing I kind of want to ask you about this chapter was um, just the down ending of the book. Yeah, before we before oh, yeah, you ask that, it. I wanted to say something else about the the interruptive uh, way of God. I didn't really flesh this out too much, but one of the one of the really big interruptive uh, things because my my heart with that point is I'm I'm I know that there's 
lots of times where God is so faithful to mm. when we're in big time error, interrupt totally. the flow of our lives. I mean, the first major car accident I got into, yeah. I believe looking back on mm. it was God's hand in trying to snap me you up. off the path I was on and mm. onto the right path. So I believe that that's a big part of God's interruptive work. You know, Jonah's storm and yeah. fish, you know, and all that big part of God's interruptive way in a person's life. But as I was thinking about it for our church and for, you know, believers generally, I really was thinking of it more along the lines of the not as harsh yet still interruptive things that God does mm. to just kind of faithfully guide re nudge us. Like, yeah. you know, the, the Jonah storm and fish, that was like a 180 degree yeah. shift. But I'm talking about the like one or two or three degree shifts mm. or changes in direction that I think God is trying to produce a lot in our lives. And if we just think of it like, all right, if I ever need that 180 degree shift, God will be faithful to interrupt me and get me back on track. Then I think we, a lot of times won't be listening to his little one, two and three degree shifts that yes. he's trying to work out in our mm -hmm. lives. So for instance, like I think a great practice it, it, for Christians is reading, um, biographies or stories of, uh, faithful hmm. believers. Yeah. And when you do that, what is going to happen to you is you're going to get confronted all over the place about your priorities, mm -hmm. the way you think about things. I remember for the, the first time that I read Hudson Taylor's spiritual oh, yeah. secret. I mean, it just demolishes you because you're like, wow, I don't pray. I don't have faith. I'm not doing anything, yeah. you know? And it's, easy to dismiss those like, well, generally I'm doing mm. okay. I don't need this big 180 degree change or shift, but to be listening to the Lord on those smaller little, uh, incremental changes that he wants yeah. to make in our lives. And I think that is such a healthy practice. A, a strong and healthy Christian should be expecting God to interrupt them almost on a daily basis, totally. you know, that there's going to be a, a word or a thought that whether it's in their quiet time or in their small group or just going about their daily lives and business mm -hmm. where there's an idea that challenges them and it's the spirit trying to interrupt them. Yes. But the more we close ourselves off to that interruptive work mm -hmm. of God, we just miss it. And then we will yeah. need that big 180 yeah. degree um, shift or we will drift into spiritual deadness. So I just really encourage, you know, someone to cultivate the, uh, a, a passion for and an expectancy, uh, mm -hmm. of God's interruptions constantly <laughs> yeah. in our lives. So good. I mean, you just open up the book of Proverbs and it's just almost every chapter where he's, yeah. just, he's just saying like, great example, just love the discipline, love yeah. the wisdom, just hold on to it at all costs, you know? And there'll be life there. I think it's such a wise word to share. Um, thank you for bringing that up. I want to ask you, okay, about this book, chapter 13, Down Note. 
we've talked about how it actually was like a sign of God's renewal and everything, but I was just thinking about scripture and how there are, when you go through the whole book of the Bible, there are a lot of down notes in scripture. It's a very human story in a lot of ways, but I was curious from you, Nate, if there was maybe a reason why some of these books just end <laughs> on down notes. Why, why does the story kind of end on a down note? Like, what is it pointing us towards? What should it make us think about? Is there a reason why that happens throughout yeah, scripture? It's interesting. I'm just kind of, as you share that, just scanning some of the old Testament yeah. in my mind, you know? So why does Daniel come along and he's in captivity at the beginning of the book and he is receiving all of these prophecies about a kingdom that's coming, that's mm-hmm. going to destroy all the other kingdoms and why does the book of Daniel end without that kingdom being right. present? Now, why does the book of Genesis, where you've got Abraham being made a promise that I'll make of you a nation that is a blessing to all the nations, and through your seed I will bless the entire world. Why does the book of Genesis end with these 12 descendants of Abraham being spoken to by their father Jacob, Israel, and pretty much just kind of castigated Mm -hmm. for the problems that they've caused him in the latter half of the book of Genesis. And why then do they go into slavery and they're not a nation that's blessing others, Mm -hmm. they're a nation that's in formation blessing one nation because of their indentured servitude or their slavery. Uh, Why does the book of Joshua, uh, full of victory and life and growth and progress and expansion, end with the key figure saying, you know, I'm dying and my house is going to serve the Lord. I don't know what you guys are going to do. You probably won't, but me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing you find, they betray God. Why is there the book of Judges where these different heroes are raised up, but they all have flaws and faults and every victory that they win is temporary. It doesn't last. Why is this the case? Why does Nehemiah come onto the scene, work this great revival, but then the revival ends and they fall into spiritual disarray and apathy? Why is that the case? It's almost like the Bible is trying to, in the Old Testament, point forward to someone else, mm-hmm. you know? And so yeah. that's, of course, the way I framed it there with the book of Nehemiah, that this is the perfect ending in part because they, Nehemiah wasn't the one that would bring yes. all the victory and the lasting transformation. It was Jesus. Yeah. When Jesus came, he brought in Daniel's kingdom. When Jesus came, mm-hmm. he became the seed that would be the blessing to all the nations of the earth. When Jesus came, he became the Joshua who never dies, but who always leads his people into victory. Jesus is the one that the whole Old Testament scripture was pointing forward to. So why did it feel that way? Because Mm. that was the plan of God. He, you know, no human being, no generation could bring about all the things that God wanted to do except for his son. So I think, you know, to me, it's just such a great, you know, end to the book, because as I said earlier, that's our experience uh, right now. 
uh, in many ways, you know, make a commitment, struggle to keep it, but also because they were not the ones who could receive the promises. I don't, I don't know how much I'm going to get into it uh, next week, but one of the things that I didn't really talk about in the book of Nehemiah is that not only had there been prophecies about the, the new covenant, the mm-hmm. law being written on their hearts. And I talk right. about that in the teaching, mm-hmm. you know, that um, they were hoping for that. Like, yeah. are we the ones that are going to experience the Jeremiah and Ezekiel mm-hmm. prophecies that the law will be written on our hearts? Well, apparently not. Yeah. You know, that's right. kind of what the end of Nehemiah yeah. shows us. Like, all right, they weren't really changed <laughs> from the inside out. Yeah. That's possible with Jesus. But there was another aspect to those promises that they were waiting for, and it was, um, you might remember, uh, like uh, in the book of Ezekiel, for instance, Ezekiel, when the people of Israel, before Nehemiah's day, when they were brought into captivity in Babylon, he had all these visions of the glory of God departing from the temple. And that was a huge crushing moment for Mm -hmm. the people of Israel. I mean... Jerusalem was special, the temple was special, but the thing that made Jerusalem and the temple special was the presence of the glory yeah. of God. I mean, when, when Solomon prayed over the temple and God's glory came into the temple, or before that when the tabernacle was instituted and Moses prayed for it and God's glory came into it and upon it, that was what made mm-hmm. those places special. That, that was Israel's like special possession. We have God's presence. We have the glory of God. And Ezekiel and others prophesied and predicted the glory is going to come back. The glory is going to return. God is going to be present here once again. And that was another aspect or dynamic of the predictions that Nehemiah's generation would have likely been waiting for. Hmm. And so clearly they didn't receive it. And as I kept saying during the teaching of the book, this is the last historical narrative of the old testament so it's the last picture we have of what life was like in the written word there's Mm -hmm. you know history that we have from those 400 plus years in between the book of nehemiah and um matthew mark luke and john basically Mm -hmm. but years later of course jesus gets on a young donkey and he rides it into Jerusalem and where does he go? He goes to the temple Mm -hmm. and he there in bodily form is the glory of the Lord present in Mm -hmm. God's holy city. So it's a book that's highly anticipatory of Mm -hmm. Jesus coming to fulfill all those predictions and prophecies. I mean, Mm -hmm. for me, even down to the, timing of the original mission of Nehemiah to go to rebuild the walls. King Artaxerxes gave this commission and Daniel's prophecies in Daniel chapter nine teach us that from the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the Prince Jesus Mm. would be a period of 483 years. And that's exactly what happened from Artaxerxes commission to the time that Jesus, depending on how you count the calendar, uh, rode into Jerusalem on that uh, donkey or 
potentially just his public ministry yeah. there in the Galilee. Mm-hmm. But it was a period of 483 years that passed wow. by. So everything in the book is anticipating mm-hmm. something else, you know, something bigger. And yeah. they didn't live it out. They didn't get to experience it themselves, but, but we do, you know. So we've got a great little season, you know, Good Friday and Palm Sunday and Easter. I mean, it's just a sweet time to remember and celebrate like we're living in the age of fulfillment exciting times exciting times what a great way to enter into like you said into this kind of holy season and thinking about jesus i just love that this old testament book points ahead towards our savior our king so nate thanks for taking us through the book of nehemiah what a ride yeah for sure and uh, it's just been a joy can't wait for palm sunday easter do you want to talk do you want to announce what we're going to be going through after? Yeah, sure. Easter? I'll talk about that for a second. First of all, I would appreciate you know all your prayers for the the Nehemiah uh, stuff because I really feel like just the length of that mm-hmm. book, the the subject matter of that book, and I really felt God's help in understanding that book and how it pertains to us today. Yeah, and so I would really like to turn that into a written. Uh, resource at some yeah. point. So I'm, I'm manuscripted all these teachings, so I've got a good rough draft to work from, mm-hmm. but I basically would like to turn that into a book as soon as possible. So you could be praying for that. Um, yeah. After Easter Sunday, we're going to do as a church, something different for us. I'm going to choose four or I've chosen four separate Bible passages, not all in the same book, Genesis, mm-hmm. We'll hold one of them. Colossians will hold another. But I've chosen four different passages to help us think about for four weeks the theology of work. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm calling it wholehearted work uh, because Paul tells us in Colossians that whatever we do, we should do it with a whole heart as unto the Lord. And he's talking about our work, our careers, our jobs. And um, I'm excited to talk about this because... It's important to me to uh, to put um, to proclaim the dignity of our mm. what we're going to spend most of our lives doing. Yeah, our regular our day job. You know what we spend our 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 uh, our time in during our work week. I want to put the dignity in that that the Bible gives to it, and. This is important to me as a local church pastor because I chafe at the idea that what a person does in their work life is unimportant in God's sight. Mm -hmm. And that if you really want to be a kingdom person, you just need to fill your your schedule and your life up with religious activities and services. And so I've always chafed at a church culture or um, system or strategy where people are required to be at the church four or five, six times each week or doing churchy things. Mm -hmm. I've always chafed at the idea that our careers or our jobs are just there to help basically fund life and fund Mm -hmm. gospel work. Yeah, I've always hated that idea. And so... I want to go back to the word and say, what does the word say about our work? And to me, it seems that the word says 
that our work is important in God's sight, that it was part of original creation. It was something that God gave Adam to do even before sin entered into the world. It becomes harder because mm-hmm. of sin, but still important and still part of God's original mandate. God told us to go fill the earth and subdue it mm-hmm. and bring all things under our dominion. So to have, you know, bring creation into subjection. I think God gave us the raw material and we're called to go out and cultivate it and develop it for his purposes and for his glory. I think this is one of the great ways for us to love our neighbor as ourselves. I think that our workplaces are one of the greatest places for us to be sanctified and conformed into the image of Jesus. We're going to have challenging coworkers and deadlines and projects and pressures that just put us on our knees and I think we need to recognize that our workplace is not just a ministry in the sense that if we have a Bible study on our lunch break mm-hmm. once a week, or if we occasionally share the gospel with a coworker when the time is right, then it's a ministry. It's a ministry because we're providing for our lives and our family. We're making our society better, theoretically, depending yeah. on our course of career. So I just mm-hmm. want to kind of... Um, reflect on some of these theological principles about work for four weeks. And then uh, after I get done with that different kind of series, um, I'm going to go, you know, obviously back into just selecting the book of the Bible and expositing it. And to be honest with you, you know, I got at the point where we're recording this, I've got seven weeks to go till that point comes. Mm -hmm. And uh, normally I've, Really got it locked in, mm-hmm. but I'm still still narrowing it down uh, mm-hmm. today, and uh, I'm hoping that this week I'll land on it because cool. I I this is right about the time I like to really throw myself into yeah. preparing and reading and thinking totally. about what the big themes are mm-hmm. of that uh, book or passage of scripture. I think to be honest with you, uh, part of my hesitation is that. Um, I really have over the last two books, First Peter and Nehemiah, have felt God strengthen me to see the big overarching theme of that book and then yeah. deliver it continuously throughout the whole mm-hmm. series, always connect back to that theme, which to me, and, and, and I've enjoyed it because it has never felt contrived to mm-hmm. me, it's always felt like I'm being faithful to the text here, more yeah. faithful than I would be if I just took each text as a standalone thing. Mm-hmm. I'm connecting it to the author's major intent every single time that we're opening up the book. So I've really loved that. And yeah. I'm, I'm so it's kind of almost making me more cautious, <laughs> like, oh, I really want to make sure I've got this squared away in my yeah. mind before I pick uh, the next one because I've just so enjoyed that mm-hmm. uh, flow and that totally. rhythm. So. You guys can pray for that uh, next book. And if you, you know, go to church here at Calvary Monterey and you got any suggestions or things you'd like to hear me talk about, uh, feel free to bend my ear. It, uh, it, it might sway me. <laughs> it might sway me. I love hearing what people like to, yeah. would like to hear about yeah, or what totally. they think they'd like to hear about. Yeah. I mean, Nehemiah, you know, I mean, I had people after I said that I was going to teach Nehemiah that were like, oh man, Nehemiah really, you know, but, and then after it was over said, I'm so thankful you went through <laughs> Nehemiah. I had no idea it was going to be like that. That was totally. great. You know? So um, I'd love to hear, though, from people, if you've got a book that you'd like me to cover, uh, you know, I gotta, I'm, hopefully I'll be here for a long time. And so I will 
love to teach. Uh, it's got to be in the Bible, though. That's right. It's yeah. got to be in the Bible. One oh, of the yeah. 66. Well, amen. Thanks so much, Nate, again, for taking us through the book. Can't wait for these upcoming messages and themes we're going through, books we're going to go through. It's going to be great. Thanks for your time today. We pray that today's discussion has blessed you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and share so we can continue to reach people and make Jesus famous in our lives and the lives around us. Until next time, God bless.